Are you ready to live your best life, be stronger, and fall in love with yourself? It's possible and it's within you, but you need to unlock the power within. Welcome to Fearlessly Authentic with Jody Harrison Bauer. Jody is now living the best life ever, but it took some stepping out of her comfort zone. She's going to show you how it can be done. Here is your host, Jody Harrison Bauer. Good afternoon, everybody. Happy Thursday. It is August 20th. I can't even believe that it's August 20th already. It has been a busy summer and it has been just wild. It's just been a wild ride. And I am so grateful to have the guests that I've had on my show. And I am so grateful that you guys have been listening. Everybody around the world, thank you so much. You know, the show is about educating, empowering, and inspiring. So whatever message we have for the week, you know, it really is to to make us better people all over and to empower us with that education and then to go inspire people around the world, people that you know, people that you love. And my guest today is a social impact entrepreneur and a very impressive young woman. And I'm going to tell you a little bit about her before we we get her to start telling you her story. Because in this in these times that we're in right now, so many of us want to give back. We want to make an impact. We want to um, help change people's lives if we have the ability to do that. And so much of that has to do with our story, our background. And that's what Alex Bushman is here to talk about today. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about her and then I will bring her on so she can share her story. So Alexandra Bushman is one of the founding members of We Gave What, the philanthropic arm of We Wore What by Danielle Bernstein. Born and raised in New York City, Alex's passion for working in social impact stems from living two blocks away from the Twin Towers on 9-11. Like, I can't even imagine that. She was eight years old at the time and was displaced from her home and school for over a year. At a very young age, she saw the importance of compassion in healing communities and addressing complex global issues, something that has driven her entire personal and professional career. That's amazing that something, obviously 9-11 impacted so many of us in so many ways, but you lived in the city. So welcome, Alex, to the show. I really appreciate you being here. Thank you so much for having me, Jody. I'm super excited. I've been listening to your podcast all morning um, and just honored to be in the company of a lot of really inspiring guests that you've had. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, why don't we start from how, at an, as an eight-year-old, how you were impacted by what happened on 9-11. Yeah, absolutely. So um, at the time, um, I was living in Battery Park City, and up until then, my whole world was kind of in a two-block radius of the Twin Towers. My elementary school was there, my sister's preschool, my mom's work. My uh, my dad would take the train every day from inside the Twin Towers to go to work, Um, my soccer field, everything. Um, So when 9-11 happened, it really kind of shook up my entire childhood. Um, like you mentioned, after the, after it happened, I was displaced from my home and my school um, for a year. My mom was displaced from her job for almost four years. She had to commute back and forth to New Jersey. And my sister was only in preschool at the time. So I have all these memories of just hearing my sister um, crying for my mom as she would leave in the morning. Um, and on top of that, there was just a lot of trauma um, 
of dealing with something like that at such a young age when you think that you're just a kid and the world is this place where bad things don't really happen and you're invincible. And so seeing, um, you know, the being physically seeing the towers collapse was, you know, super traumatizing. Um, so yeah, it was a really, really tough experience to have as, as a child. Do you actually remember as, as an eight-year-old or do you look back at pictures and that, and that reminds you of what happened or the stories that your parents tell you? And what about your friends, other friends that you had in the same area that you went to school with? Yeah. So it's interesting because my sister and I are seven years apart. So she was um, one or had just turned two when it happened and I was eight. So I, I do remember it. I remember leaving, being evacuated from my elementary school and having to run up the West Side Highway. I remember turning around when, as we were running and I was holding my second grade teacher's hand at that point because she was, um, even though I was in fourth grade at the time, she was like a, one of my favorite teachers that I've ever had. And I remember holding her hand and turning around and seeing balls of fire like coming at us. I remember seeing people jumping from the buildings um, and not really being able to comprehend what they were because I'd obviously never seen something like that. Um, and I remember seeing people on the highway who were stopping to take videos and pictures and being like, what are you, what are you doing? Like run. Um, so I have all those really graphic memories. And I think people my age and older do, whereas for my sister, she, she doesn't remember it at all. Like she has kind of interesting associations with Battery Park City, where like, for me, it was this really wonderful, joyful neighborhood. And for her, she has like a I think it gives her a little bit of anxiety. And I think that's because maybe she experienced it at such a young age, but didn't really know how to, she didn't have the, the memory. So she, she processes it differently, but I, yeah, I definitely, I definitely have those images in my head. You know, I re- obviously I remember when that happened and I rushed to my daughter's school because they closed down the school because every parent was like rushing. They just wanted to get their kids home. And it was so hard to make sense. I mean, I remember, I think everybody who was alive, remembers that day so clearly. I was actually at home watching, doing a workout video. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, I couldn't, of course, technically couldn't get it to turn. Back then we had to put it like on channel four and we had all these different things we had to do. And I remember it was, uh, I think the Today Show and they they were showing the towers and I thought, this can't be real. This cannot be real. So, you know, we all, we all were very, very scared. And yeah. so after this happened, soon afterwards, how long did you have to, I mean, did you grab your stuff? Did your parents grab you guys and just take off out of the city? So my home was covered in debris. Um, so we, my mom was working for the Wall Street Journal. She still does. Um, she had to stay in the World Financial Center, which was right next to the Twin Towers, Um, to cover the story. Um, And my dad had just left being in the buildings because that's where he would take the train from. Um, So he went to try to find me at uh, the school that we'd been evacuated to. And my mom went to try to pick up my sister, um, but she was completely covered in debris. When when she actually got to my sister's preschool, um, my sister cried and didn't recognize her because she was so covered in debris. Right. But my sister and my mom ended up going on like one of the tugboats to New Jersey. And my dad and I went to a family friend's um, apartment in 
either midtown or like just north of Battery Park City where it was considered like a bit more safe at that mm-hmm. time. And the way that we found out that my sister was alive and my mom was alive because we didn't know um, because cell phone service was all cut out that day was we saw uh, a new special um, where they were trying to find parents of the children that were in the preschool. And I was in the living room, I was in the bedroom and my dad was in the living room of this house that we were staying in. And we, my sister came on the screen and she was just eating a noodle because she was two years old and had no idea what was going on. And I heard my dad scream from the living room and I rushed out and we saw that she was there and that's how we found out they were alive. And we reunited with them the next day. Um, I went to Long Island to to stay with my grandparents for a while. Alex, I had I had no idea because it, I, I had no idea that it, it, it was like this for you. I knew that you had gone through it, but wow, that that is an incredible story. I can't even imagine not knowing where my children would be. Like that's the first thing I did was run to school to get them, and thank goodness they were there. And like all, you know, we were all just lots of moms and dads at the school hugging our children. But your dad must have been you know, just so scared. Like, would he ever see his wife and his other daughter again? Yeah, it was so scary. We actually found the recording um, recently of my sister eating the noodle. So I thought (laughs) for the first time this year, but yeah, it's just a really crazy moment. So obviously that had a huge impact. I think we're going to use that word impact a lot today because everything that you have gone through and your mission in life and the things that you want to accomplish, um, are because of this moment in time. And that is, you know, everybody has a story in life and everybody has an opportunity to tell their story and change things so they don't happen to somebody else or change things so you can make a difference in somebody else's life because you you went through it yourself. So yeah. being displaced, you know what that feels like. So um, after 9-11 and you go off and you live in New Jersey for two years? Uh, no. So we were living in the village, but my mom was, the Wall Street Journal was relocated to New Jersey for, I think, like three or four years. Okay. Yeah. So did life seem to be back to normal then? Uh, no, it took a really long time for life to feel normal. We didn't go back to school for a while. Um, and when we did go back to school, it was in an, another school, um, and yeah, it, it definitely took a lot of time. I, I mean, I still don't know if like my family's like fully recovered from it. You know, it was super traumatic. Um, and like every year on September 11th, it's something that we think about, but I think that there were a lot of really positive lessons that I took away from going through that. And that like, uh, I think that with my family's help, like have been kind of like instilled in me as I've gone on my personal life and like through my professional career. So I'm curious if you don't mind sharing. So what, what did your, how did your parents throw positivity into this to see the silver line, to see what you're learning, to see how this will all make you grow because we don't want to have pain in our heart and we want to make the world better. Yeah. I think that the biggest lesson that they tried to instill in me afterwards was just to have compassion um, and how powerful that is, especially in the face of really tragic and hateful and violent events. Um, And 
we as a family experienced a lot of compassion after 9-11 from people in New York, but from people around the world. I remember, I mean, like, like I mentioned, schools let us, their, schools opened their doors to the students at my school um, and like let, let us go there, even though it was like, you know, crowded. Um, I remember getting teddy bears from around the world. I remember getting paper cranes from Japan. I remember showing up to my first soccer practice um, where I didn't have any, I was with a new team and I didn't have any of my soccer equipment. And I remember showing up and all the girls on my team had like brought stuff for me, like cleats or shin guards or whatever. So I think that at that young age, I just realized how important it is to how those like small gestures, which might feel small to other people can like really make such a world of difference um, to a person who's like going through like a really tough time. Compassion. It's an interesting word. We don't use it a lot. You hear gratitude a lot. Sometimes I think some words are overused and the word, you know, I think we always have to think about what those words mean to us. Empathy, compassion. Um, I think those are things that help us make changes in the world, make changes in our lives and uh, living with a heart filled with empathy and compassion can lead you to greater things in the way you could help others. And being you were in fourth grade, mm-hmm. yeah. also such a pivotal time in your life. You know, usually when you think about elementary school, it's usually like kindergarten through third, and then big shifts take take place around fourth grade mm-hmm. to like sixth grade, and then it changes again in middle school, sixth and seventh and eighth grade. And uh, I just remember it for my daughters, fourth grade, just, you know, that's when you started getting homework. That's when you had a little bit maybe more responsibility around the house or at school. And you actually could carry your books home while you guys, yeah, you still had books back then. Um, and, you know, you had, you had more responsibility. So that eight to 10 year old stage, that's a very, very um, formative time in your life. And was your little sister, were you able to, did you feel like you were explaining a lot of things to her and that she uh, questioned a lot of things were, because I know with my youngest daughter, who's your age, you know, a lot of things that changed in her life when she was like six or seven years old, it didn't have an impact until later on. And then she questioned it. So I'm just curious, like if your sister now, you know, was or then was asking questions and you felt like you were teaching her along the way. Yeah, I definitely do. Um, I think that it took her like a while to start. I mean, I think that she probably didn't like think even really think about what it all meant. Just she understood at a young age that her life was like different for a couple of years. Um, And now we like talk about it more and we talk about the different ways that it's affected us and because we were different ages when it happened and the different ways it's affected our families. And um, it's interesting because my best friend from high school is at, so she's my age, obviously, and her younger sibling is my sister's age. And we found out years after this happened, after 9-11 happened, that they had been in the same preschool class. Wow. Just saw them and they happened to be in, in one of our old family videos. And it, I think it affected the, my younger sister and her younger brother in a very similar way to the way it affected her and I, where, um, 
just maybe on like more of a conscious level, um, that was like a huge changing point in our lives. That all, that all makes sense. So you go on with your life, we readjust and so on. You go off to college and while you're in school, you start thinking about what, what are you studying in school? What is it that you, you have in your heart that you want to accomplish? So I started studying, or I went to Georgetown to play soccer. Mm-hmm. Um, I was on the women's soccer team there. And I also wanted, I knew that I wanted to study psychology. Um, I was really interested in the psychology of just people in general and how people connect. And, um, but also senior year, I decided to focus, uh, do a thesis on the psychology of terrorism to kind of understand why um, something like this happens because um just to get in that mindset because I wanted to do my part to kind of make sure that nothing like that could ever happen again. Um, but I, I guess to backtrack a little bit, I remember my freshman year of college, it was also 9-11, and it was my first time being away from my family um, since it had happened. And D.C., Georgetown specifically, is very close to the airports in D.C. So I had a bit of a panic attack or anxiety attack when it was that day and there were planes low flying around campus. And I had been, I had, I missed my psychology class that day and we were getting tests back or something like that. And the next time that I went to go get my test and apologize to my professor that I had missed the class, he picked up very quickly that something was wrong with me and that I was not doing okay. And the fact that he like, asked me how I was doing and took the time to kind of like check in on me. And from that point out became like a really big mentor for me all throughout college and afterwards. Um, It made such a big difference, especially because it was my first time really being away from my whole support system, just in general, like in New York City. Um, So that was kind of another instance of when I was like, okay, like these small actions that someone else, someone else makes or like, five minutes or 10 minutes, whatever, it can really make a really big difference for, for somebody else. Um, and that, that was, that really hit you as this is something I'm interpreting this as this is something I want to do too. The fact that this professor had this compassion for you and was changing, was helping you change, was helping you move along in something that was so traumatic for you. Yeah, exactly. And he just became kind of like a sounding board and resource for me all throughout college. And when I when it was my senior year and I was thinking about what I wanted to do next, um, I decided that I wanted to I ended up applying to Columbia to their teachers uh, to teachers college for their higher education program so that I could pursue a career in um, academic advising and do for other students what he had kind of done for me. Right. So you went off to Columbia did that? Yeah. And then what happened? So I was at Columbia thinking that I was going to do academic advising and I was doing, um, in addition to my courses, I was doing an assist, a graduate assistantship um, where I was working with student athletes and mentoring them um, at John Jay College of Criminal Justice. And I really loved working with the students one-on-one, but I felt like I was kind of noticing through that experience and through my classes at Columbia, I was realizing that there was like a larger problem with the education system that was kind of hard to 
impact at my age when I was often the same age or younger than some of my students and didn't have like a deep understanding of the college and the courses and the professors and the, and and all the requirements and whatnot. So I decided that after I graduated, I would go work for an organization that um, was taking a more like macro macro approach to the system while still working one-on-one with students. Okay. And what was that? Where did that lead you? So that was called the Posse Foundation. Yes. Um, tell us about that. It's an amazing, amazing organization. Um, the founder has one, uh, her name's Deborah Beal. She's just like a boss woman. Um, <laughs> I had like a wonderful boss there as well. Um, and they just do really amazing work trying to increase diversity in higher education um, by providing full tuition scholarships to students from diverse backgrounds and helping them, working with them before they get to college, during college, and then afterwards with the goal of increasing diversity in the workforce as well. So when you when you started working there and working with the, what, Deborah, is that right? Uh, yeah, Debbie's the president okay. and then my boss. I worked for the COO. So when you were there, did you feel like at that point in your life, you were starting to have some kind of impact on others, the kind of impact you wanted to have? Yes. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I think that the organization was having like a huge impact on the landscape of higher ed. Like Obama, President Obama gave um, a portion of his Nobel Peace Prize to Posse for the work that they were doing. Um, but I knew that there were, I think that there were a, a couple factors. Like I knew that there were a lot of different issues that I was passionate about. Like I was passionate about education, but I was also passionate. Um, this is about when like the refugee crisis started to escalate in the Middle East. And like we talked about before, like being displaced after 9-11, um, that made me feel super connected. Obviously it's a very different experience, but it made me feel super connected to refugees who were being forced to leave their homeland. So I was really passionate about that. Um, and I kind of wanted, my only professional experience had been in nonprofit, but I was also, this is when the idea of social impact was starting to kind of come into play um, and become this new field. And I, I got really interested in that as well. So did you go to Cambodia? Yes, I did go to Cambodia around okay. that. Time. That's how I. That's how I found. That was kind of my first introduction to the social impact world. And how long were you there? So um, I was there for a week to give some context. My sister's adopted from Cambodia. I can't remember if I mentioned that. Um, and she was taking a gap year between high school and college, and. This is the first time I, I had never been to Cambodia before. My sister hadn't. My sister was doing like a a service trip, community service trip to five different countries, and she hadn't been back to Cambodia since she was adopted. And my mom hadn't been back to Cambodia since she adopted my sister. So we went and we stayed in the hotel that my mom first stayed at when she adopted my sister tw- eighteen years ago, nineteen years ago at this point. Wow. Um, and I don't. Cambodia has like a really sad recent history because there was like a genocide um, that wiped out a quarter of the population. Um, But something that's really cool to see there is that there's a lot of local businesses popping up that are um, working to kind of rebuild the community and like bring in a lot of like the arts and music and culture that was kind of wiped out by this genocide. Yeah. I, I, and I know we're going to, I don't want to jump around. I want to kind of keep things, um, because there's so many companies that you're working with right now that are giving back, which I, 
you know, I absolutely love. Um, so after you went to Cambodia, you were again, you know, sort of like, did you change sort of what your mission was? Like what, what, what changed on that trip? So I guess I had thought before that, that only um, nonprofits could make a difference and only nonprofits were mission oriented. But then when I went to Cambodia and saw and heard more about social impact and saw what they were doing there, I realized that, okay, like businesses can have a mission um, behind them as well. Like uh, there was more overlap between the different sectors than I thought. And that was really exciting to me. So that's when you started thinking, well, wait a minute, you're about what, 25 years old at this point, And you're thinking I could start a business that could have an impact and I can help other people and start changing the world little by little in giving back. Yeah, exactly. I just love that. And were you surrounded by people that supported that idea? Yeah. I, I mean, my last company that I worked at, Eat Off Beat, um, the, the way that the founder was using um, food kind of as a way to create change was really eye-opening for me as, as kind of I decided that I wanted to start my own thing. Um, and just there's so many people who are using different models right now um, to innovate and to give back. And, and I think um, in starting my own thing, I've kind of drawn from all those different um, models that I've seen. You've really tried a lot of things and, you know, you've really thrown yourself into situations and continue to hone your skills as somebody who wanted to learn more about the impact you can make and the difference you can make because of your experiences. And I I know we have so much more to talk about when we come back from our commercial. So we're going to take a quick commercial break and uh, we're going to start talking about everything that you're doing now to actually make those changes. And um, so everybody stick with us. We'll be back in a few minutes. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa. Play Finding Your Frequency Podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. On Fearlessly Authentic, Jody talks about mental and physical well-being, and the key to both starts with proper nutrition. The Jody Fit Jumpstart Meal Plan was created to help your body feel better. Whether your goal is to lose weight, gain muscle, or just feel lighter and more energetic, Following this meal plan can help you get there. The Jody Fit Jumpstart Meal Plan is a 21-day plan to help you learn the most important things about the food we eat and what foods are right for you based on your goals and activity level. The Jody Fit Jumpstart Meal Plan is a real plan for real life. This is not a diet, but a change in lifestyle. The plan is simple and easy for you to follow. In the 21-day plan, you will receive meal ideas, snack ideas, a grocery list, and a 21-day journal crucial to your success with inspirational quotes to keep you motivated and keep track of your progress. 
The key to success is commitment, consistency, and willpower. Be fearless and trust the journey. Go to JodyFit.com to purchase the JodyFit meal plan now and use the promo code podcast to get 25% off. You need to live up to your full potential. You've heard that for years, but now there's a channel to help you get there. Introducing the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Our listeners have told us that they want to be motivated, hear about success stories, and positive encouragement around the clock. And we've responded to you. The Voice America Empowerment Channel is the home of the world's top life coaches, entrepreneurs, and success experts. Listen to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's here at voiceamericaempowerment.com. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are listening to Fearlessly Authentic with Jody Harrison Bauer. We'd love to hear from you with any questions or comments you may have. Send an email to info at jodyharrisonbauer.com. That's info at jodyharrisonbauer.com. Now, back to Fearlessly Authentic. Hello and welcome back. I am with Alex Bushman and we are talking about social impact and the kind of impact she wants to have on the world. And we are talking about so many things. She has already done so much and wants to share this story with you. So we were talking about Eat Off Beat, um, a company that you worked for. But before we were talking during the break, um, your sister was adopted from Cambodia. Your mom is from the Philippines. Yes, correct. So uh, how did she meet your dad? So my mom came to the U.S. from the Philippines when she was 16 years old Mm -hmm. and to pursue a career in journalism. Um, So she went to Syracuse and then years later uh, met my dad at a paper in, in Westchester, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. That's so great. Yeah. So let's talk about eat off beat for a little while, just for a few minutes. Um, Tell everybody what that company was was all about. What did you do there and what kind of, how did you give to the community in that in that way? Yeah, so Eat Off Beat is a catering company, and all the chefs are refugees um, who have been relocated to New York City. And it was started by two immigrants who came to the U.S. from Lebanon, um, kind of in the midst of the refugee crisis, and wanted to basically do something um, that sh- that changed the narrative around what it means to be a refugee and really highlight their contributions they're making and how amazing they are um, as opposed to this kind of narrative that's traditionally shown in the media. Um, So yeah, I worked for them for about two years. How did you find out about this company? So I got certified in social impact strategy from the University of Pennsylvania and the founder of Eat Off Beat, Manal, also went through the program. And the first, my first week at, um, at the Penn program, they profiled Manal um, and eat off beat. And I thought it was so amazing what they were doing. Um, like I said, like the story of refugees has always kind of resonated with me. So I drafted her an email, but then kind of thought I had no tangible skills that would make her want to hire me. So this email sat in my inbox for months and months and months. Um, and then eventually something that my mom has always said is that it never hurts to ask. Um, even if they're not hiring, even if they tell you no, like it never hurts to ask. 
Um, so then I ended up just sending that email one day and she responded and um, we met for coffee and took it from there. You know, it's hard to put yourself out there, especially if you don't have a lot of experience. I mean, even, you know, the reason I named this show Fearlessly Authentic was because I've always been such a scaredy cat. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until I started making big, big moves and decisions in my life that my life started changing. Because as they say, nothing changes if nothing changes. So if that request, you know, to Manal was in your inbox and you're like, okay, I just have to press send because, and your mom's absolutely right. Cause moms are always right. You know that uh, <laughs> if you don't ask, you never know what the answer is going to be. And sometimes it's hard because none of us ever want to be rejected. And that's the fear in starting something new. But if we don't, if we don't, you know, embrace fear or step over fear and say, goodbye, fear, I, I got this, then we never know it's on the other side and how we, we can change and how we, we can grow as human beings. Yeah. So lucky for you, she responded positively, right? Yes, she did. Okay. So you stayed there for a few years and then you, then something else changed in your life. You went to um, a YJP meeting to listen to some speakers. And why don't you share that with us? What happened at that meeting? Yes. So YJP is the Young Jewish Professionals Association in New York City. And I um, attended the panel because I threw Eat Off Beat um, kind of to figure out if they needed any catering options. But I also was super excited because Danielle Bernstein, who's an influencer who I followed for a long time, uh, was on the panel. And Ben Higgins, who was The Bachelor, who I also had a little bit of a crush <laughs> on, was on the panel at the time. Um, so I was like, worst, tour, worst case, I get some cards. Best case, I get to talk to Ben and Danielle. Um, so I got to talk to Ben. I didn't get to talk to Danielle, but basically Danielle spoke a lot about what your whole podcast is about, being fearlessly authentic and how that has kind of helped her succeed as an influencer. And I was really inspired by that and moved to kind of reach out to her. Um, again, like my mom said, it never hurts to ask. So I just sent her a DM and I said, I saw you speak on this panel. I was really inspired. I would love for my catering company to... Uh, you know, send your team lunch. And we did. <laughs> and so did you meet her at that time or you just sent, you just sent over the lunch? I was honestly too scared to go up to her. <laughs> You're the- so funny. <laughs> You're just, oh. I was also too, I had never raised my hand and asked a question at an event ever. I was terrified. Um, but I did that. I was like, I should, I just like, well, push myself out of my comfort zone. So I raised my hand so that at least it would be like on her radar, on Ben's radar. And yeah, she, she responded and was really wonderful. And so what happened after that? Did you, uh, did you follow up because did you want to work with her or what, what were your, what were you thinking after you, you, you know, you see this woman who's about your age, who's, you know, having this huge influence on so many people. And if you're thinking, wow, if I could, just get a little bit of that courage that she has. I can, I can take what I want to do just a step farther. So after your company, well, Eat Off Beat sent her the food. Did you follow up with a, an email or a DM or something saying, hey, you know, can we, we talk a little bit more? I actually didn't for a while. I, I thanked her, and, but it did give me an idea. It, it made me realize that how impactful influencers can be in terms of like raising awareness of businesses like Eat Off Beat. Yes. And 
that was something that I, for like a year, I would say kind of started to focus a little bit on like reaching out to other food bloggers in New York city, um, to brands that had like large platforms to see if they wanted to collaborate. Um, and as a small business to be the one pitching these people, it's hard because it's like, what's in it for them, which is why I was so grateful that Danielle was open to it. Um, but then I did reach back out to her again when COVID started to spread to New, spread to New York City. Yeah, I remember seeing uh, that she she put out something about um, looking f- to help out small businesses when we went into quarantine. Mm-hmm. So around the middle of March, I know my business closed and mostly everything closed around March 16th. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's when the two of you really started talking was during the quarantine time and you realize that hey, maybe we can um, have an impact together. Yeah, exactly. So as a catering company with all events canceled, eat off right. beat had, you know, we were really scared. We didn't know if we were going to be able to make it through this. Um, so that's when I reached back out to her and I said, would you be willing to share about eat off beat? And she did it again. And it again, brought in like so many orders, so many followers, so much awareness. And then she was able, yeah, she was able to connect me to Melissa, who's a different influencer and who also shared about Eat Off Beat. Um, And it just kind of set off this chain for for us as a company that was super helpful. Um, So then her and I um, were like, this is something that's really powerful. So I asked her if I could help her take all the work that she was doing to support small businesses and charities already on we were what and build it out as a separate platform that could be scaled that could be um could just have so much potential to help so many people right so you have so now is your is your mission becoming like super clear now that you see again the 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 power of an influencer the positive power of an influencer and how it could change a business and then have so much positive positivity out there for the world. So at that point you started working together, creating this other company, this another, this nonprofit organization. Cause I remember watching the whole thing go on, on social media, watching it. And it was, it was fantastic. And I think a, a lot of people that I've spoken to have created businesses where they can give back and so I want you to talk a little bit about what exactly your company is about, what you're doing to give back. And, um, you know, one of the things I noticed the other day was, um, where did I put it? Ah, I'm sorry, the the River Fund. And so I'd like you to talk a little bit more about that and just share that information with the listeners. Yeah. So basically the power or the mission behind We Gave What is to leverage this power of social media to raise awareness of small businesses and charitable initiatives and give everyone who wants to give back a way to give back. Um, I think that especially in the past few months, people have really wanted to do something to help but not really always known how. And we talk about influencers and we think of influencers as people with these really huge platforms. That's traditionally how it's defined. But I read something that was like, everyone is an influencer. Anyone who has a voice or a platform, um, no matter how many followers you have, has the power to influence. So even for Eat Off Beat, if it's, you know, one person sees 
what we are and then tells one friend about it who tells one friend about it and so on. That's so powerful. And we just, the mission kind of behind We Gave What is to, to empower people to give back in whatever way they can. So maybe that's their voice, maybe it's their time, maybe it's their resources, maybe it's whatever their platform, whatever it is, but we all can have something to give. So what type of businesses have you um, associated with now? I, I noticed there were all different types on your Instagram account, and um, maybe you could highlight a few of those those companies. Yeah, so we've worked with, uh, we have a whole um, array of different small businesses that we have highlighted um, in, you know, various spaces. So the health and wellness space, um, the in fashion, in uh, accessories, jewelry, etc. And then we also have like the nonprofits that we've been working with. So the River Fund is an organization in New York City that's working to combat homelessness um, and hunger. Um, we've highlighted the International Rescue Committee, which is an organization that's super close to my heart because we've worked with them um, really closely with Eat Off Beat and their goal, uh, they support, they're like a humanitarian organization that works with people around the world. Um, we've worked with Freedom in Fashion, which is an organization that is um, their goal is to support survivors of abuse and sex trafficking. So we're really, the goal is to kind of build this like global community or this uh, community of people from around the world who want to, like I said, want to give back and have different resources or different things to give and kind of just putting the pieces together. Is that difficult? Does it make sense to you? Is it a lot to take in and figure out what goes where and so on? So I've, I was listening to your podcast earlier. I can't remember which one it was, but I think you were talking about authenticity being as like what lights you up and like what what excites you. And for me, the thing that's most exciting about this work is having someone reach out to me and say, I have 500 boxes of crayons to donate and I don't know what to do with them. And then finding an organization that needs, like is reaching out to me and saying, I we work with youth and we empower them or do like therapy through art and like making that connection. I think that that's like so exciting and um, fun and just like cool to connect those people who like often are in complete part, like different parts of the world and might otherwise not be able to connect with each other. Like I think that's the real power of social media. I, I totally agree because we don't know who needs what until we put it out there, sort of going back to what your mom said, you know, you don't get an answer unless you ask a question. And if you don't put it out there, like who needs crayons? Like for me, you know, owning a fitness studio, who needs dumbbells? And I mean, it happened even during, you know, during quarantine when everybody was home, not all of our members had had things to work out with. So who needs things to work out with? It's not the same as what you're doing, but it's the same. It's filling that need, filling that void. Where can we help? And I think everybody started going back to the word we used at the beginning um, of having that compassion. You know, oh, you don't, you don't have weights to work out. I know that seems simplistic given the fact that there are homeless and hungry people out there. So I don't, I don't want to minimize that at all. By, but in this situation here, here's some weights. Here, take this, take that. What do you need? What do you need? What do you need? And I find that you know, some people disagree with me, but I feel that people are kinder and that they are um, 
smile more. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's me. Maybe I've changed. Maybe this whole thing has changed me. But I just look around and I see, again, a, a word that's around that's being thrown around is like be kind. But I, I, it's something that came from from inside me where I just started noticing like. Are people kinder? Are people nicer? Are do you feel that way? Do you feel that people are, are more uh, gracious in what they're going to give you, and will take more time to answer your questions and t- to find if they have something that they can give? Okay, let's find out who needs this the most. Yeah, a hundred percent. I think that um, something that I've thought about a lot in the past few months is that when the pandemic happened, it in March when you know like all the restaurants were closed. It felt like a ghost town that very much felt reminiscent of post 9-11 for me. But in, in another way, also the compassion that's been shown since the like coming together of like New Yorkers, um, the kindness, the um, generosity, which I felt like I didn't, you know, maybe like you didn't always see it before. Like that has also increased a lot in these, in the past, past few months. And I think that that's something that's like, really beautiful to see uh, and that like when New York comes together and globally when we come together it's like really really powerful and moving to watch I wonder how what would have happened do you think you would have had this push to do this if we weren't in quarantine if COVID didn't happen I mean you know, this isn't a good thing that's going on in our world, but people are changing as a result of it. And, you know, we're hoping that most people are changing for the better, that it's that they see the silver lining, that they want to give back, that they want to be kinder, that they realize that, you know, we can't take life for granted every single day, that we can't take our life for granted. I know that being in the health and wellness field, and by the way, let's talk about that after we get off this, <laughs> off um, what I can do to help you, because I'd really like to do this. I've been in the fitness industry for over 30 years, so I'd love to help in any way. Um, but it's, I feel that everybody is taking more control over how they want to live their lives and how they want to see themselves. Cause I think a lot of people will see themselves. Oh, I want to, I, I want to accomplish this because I don't know necessarily what tomorrow is going to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that it's definitely pushed me out of my comfort zone. It's pushed a lot of people out of their comfort zones. Um, I don't, yeah, I don't think that I would be doing this if we, if, you know, quarantine hadn't happened. Um, yeah. Because it was like a big wake up call. You're like, wait, I have to do something. I felt, yes, exactly. I felt, um, like a deep kind of passion and like maybe like professional, like calling that I hadn't, I knew was there and I felt like I was on that path, but I didn't feel like I had like arrived yet at like the beginning of my like what, what the next big thing was going to be for me. Right. You probably didn't. It just came naturally, instinctively. And that fear that you talked about, uh, you know, just in raising your hand and reaching out uh, to Danielle, probably when the quarantine began and everything changed for everybody in the middle of March, it's almost like we didn't have time to be fearful, right? We just sort of went on, this is a gut instinct. This is a knee-jerk reaction. Like, it's almost like you, I felt this way, and I'm wondering if you felt this way, that you put yourself second and you say, if you're that kind of person, mm-hmm. that, no, the timing is now. Like, the timing is now. You don't even think about the, the fear. You just think that this is what I am. This is it. This is what I'm meant to do. 
Yeah, totally. My family is watching Lost right now. Um, and there's this one, I don't know if you've ever seen it, but there's a character. Have you seen it? No, it's funny. My daughter, who who introduced us, um, watched it with her boyfriend. And I wanted to start watching it. I never watched it because I don't like scary shows because I was a scaredy cat. So it was when it came out. Uh, it was soon after my divorce. I think it was around that time. So I was, you know, living in the house by myself and scared of everything. So I haven't watched it, but it's on my, I want to. It's definitely good. It's, it's binge worthy, but there's the main character. Jack is a surgeon. And basically there's this one scene where he says that before surgeries, he gives himself five seconds to be scared. Um, and then he like counts down and then he just does it. And I kind of feel like that's what it was like. Like when COVID started to happen, I was like, I'm going to give myself I mean, I'm still obviously like, you know, some days are really scary and some days aren't, but I still, um, I feel like I knew that I kind of had to make a plan and I knew that I wanted to do something to help. And, and then I just did it. Yeah. I think, I think that's what happens is we do, we just make that decision. Then we just go for it. And so many times on the show, I've talked about, I was a fitness competitor and, you know, I would be backstage and the uh, facilitator would be back there. Okay. You know, you go, you go, you go next. And then I would always have this 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 fear immediately before I stepped on stage and think first, A, I have to go to the bathroom. <laughs> and the guy telling me, no, you don't have to go to the bathroom, Jody, you're on stage next. And just you just go into that, like the surgeon on the show, boom, scared for 10 seconds, and then boom. And then you just, you put that fear aside because you know that what you're doing is for the greater good. And I know that sounds so huge, you know, because walking on stage, you know, in a bikini competition is not for the greater good. But for me, it was accomplishing something, you know, getting over my fear, you know, it was on my bucket list. So um, what does your family think of everything that you are doing and you're in the process of creating? They're really proud <laughs> of me and they're really excited for me. Um, and yeah, I mean, I just feel like very grateful for them and like the kind of the values that they've kind of like instilled in me like as I grew up because I think that's like a big part of like why I've decided to like pursue this professional career um I mean I think they're I on the other side I think it's scary like it's I feel like I have a child kind of and I think that it's you know they want it to succeed and they want me to succeed um and we're all kind of just on this like roller coaster of emotions together you know yeah, because you do have big dreams and goals. So what is, what do you see in the next five years? That's a really good question. And something kind of that I am trying to maybe take a little bit of a step back from doing because I've always kind of, my mom just sent me a text the other day that had a picture that I had made my um, senior spring on, uh, we were on vacation together and I made a list like 21, 20 years old to 22 years old, get, like, get degree at Columbia, 22 to 25, 25 to 27, 27 to 30. So far, I've only done like one of the things or two of the things on that list, but just kind of being more okay with my path not being so linear and things changing. Um, Cause I feel like that's maybe like what's exciting about life. That's important that you just said that that you found that, that uncertainty to be exciting. Yeah. Because I think you and I sort of, I get the feeling that we think the same way. We want everything set up a certain way and we think it's going to happen that way, but most of the time it doesn't. So we have to be open-minded. 
And sometimes that is scary. Mm -hmm. I know that I have found it to be scary. And, but I think that when we do, we do open up our heart and our mind and we say, okay, I could do this. It's like jumping off a diving board and going, okay, I'm just going to do it. Yeah. So we've talked, we've talked so much about um, giving back. And I want, before we finish the show, I I would love to ask you um, what fearlessly authentic means to you. So I think for me, fearlessly authentic is about just owning wherever you are in your life. Um, And whether, I mean, I think for me, often that means being like a mess. Um, And I think I was kind of scared to come on this show because I was like, if I talk about being a mess, like, is that going to be like inspiring to anybody? But I think that that's okay. Like, and I think that a lot of people um, in their late twenties are probably also in that space where they're like, what's next for me career wise, what's next for me in my relationship and just kind of owning that there's a lot of uncertainty, but just like being excited about it. I think that for me, that's what authentic means right now. And being fearless in that. Fearless, Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's uh, I, I can really relate to that answer because there is overall so much uncertainty in the world, but we have to like sort of give into that, that fear and that that's us. That's who we are at the core. And it's okay uh, to be a mess Mm -hmm. because you are not, you're not alone. There Mm -hmm. are lots of people your age that feel a mess and feel that they have to have all the answers, but living in that authentic world in yourself can give you that strength to know that it's okay to be a mess some days and it's okay to feel like on top of the world, but this is who I am and I'm going to own it. And it's probably going to change. And I think that's the whole thing about being um, open to change and evolving. And um, I, I know you were nervous about being on the show. We talked all day today and you have your message has come through loud and clear. And I'd love for you to just share how people could get in touch with you if they want to donate, get involved. How do they do that? So people can, my personal handle on Instagram is Alex Bushman. If anyone wants to connect, Um, we gave what is just at we gave what, if people want to give it a follow, Um, I still have a lot of love for eat off beat. So feel free to go follow them too. But yeah, I would love to connect with anybody. Okay. Alex, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you, Jody, for having me. Yeah, it was a pure joy for me. And you did it. Yay! You did it. Yay. You did it. Yay. Only first of many. Instances. Yes, yes. You did a great job. Thank you so much. And for all of that, you that are listening to the show, please share, um, subscribe to the podcast, uh, share the love, because we have so much information on this show that is having a positive impact in the world. So thank you all for listening and um, have a great Thursday afternoon. Bye, everybody. Bye. Thank you for tuning in this week to Fearlessly Authentic. Please listen again next Thursday at 12 noon Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern Time for another edition with your host, Jody Harrison Bauer, on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and unlock the keys to a more powerful you. 